Broncos All-Decade Tackle Orlando Franklin. Two-time All-Pro linebacker Chad Brown. Former Broncos tight end and New York Times best-selling author Nate Jackson. 1043 The Fan welcomes you into the Players Club. Welcome back into the Players Club. I'm Chad Brown. He is Orlando Franklin. Nate Jackson will be on the drive a little bit later today. Uh, with all the fights going on during during practices, Sean Payton doesn't seem to uh, be too concerned that uh, that's going to be an issue between the Broncos and Rams out there today. Yeah, I, look, I think Sean will do a great job with his team. We've had, man, my experience, and it's been with the Chargers over the years. It's been with the Patriots. You know, we've... We've had a lot of good work take place without any fighting, so I don't expect that to be uh, an issue at all. All right, there it is. We heard from Sean Payton. I, I, you can say that as a coach. You got to say the right things. Um, I think it was uh, DMac. He was talking to Alex Singleton after practice yesterday, and DMac asked about the fights against the the Cowboys last year, and if things got you know really chipping. And was, was that okay? And Alex Singleton flipped it back on DMAC. What do you think? So mm. we hear from Sean Payton. It's not going to be an issue. Alex Singleton, like, you know, hey, man, if you got to throw, we got to throw. Mm-hmm. I think it's the right mindset for a player to have, and it's the right thing for the coach to say publicly. Yeah. Unfortunately, all players are, are looked at differently. You know, when I look at this Broncos football team and Sean Payton's here, I know it's a new coaching staff. But at the same time, when you look at guys like Mike McClinchy, Garrett Bowles, these guys are going to be viewed a lot different than Cam Fleming, Isaiah Prince, right? Mm-hmm. So if Garrett Bowles thinks that the guy gave him a little too extra, goes out there with the pass rush or he got a little too close to Russ and Garrett Bowles fights, probably going to be like, hey, a situation where you had to do that. Now, a younger guy that's trying to make the roster probably holds off on that. Coach says you conjure detrimental, and they're cutting down to the 53-man roster. I don't want to get cut. So the thought process and the mindset changes from first team to second team all the way to third team. Mm-hmm. I can tell you this. It doesn't matter what a coach tells me, Chad, going into a joint practice. It all depends on what that defensive player is doing. Is that defensive player getting in the grill of some of my teammates? Are they getting too close to my quarterback? Because I'm going to have a problem with that. It doesn't matter if you're, you're threatening me with, you know, giving me the biggest fine in our team's book. I'm going to protect the football team at all costs and protect my – I'm going to be that enforcer. That's my mentality. So I hear what Sean Payton's saying. I hear what Alex Singleton's saying. I'm saying that the tempo dictates the, the if a fight happens or not because there could be some guys that, that you could have great tempo practice and play within the whistle and not be cheap. Right, and, and it's just like, okay, you know what? I lost that rep. Dang, hand clap, get back to the huddle. Let me strap this thing up a little tighter next play, and I'm going to get you. So you could have that nice back and forth where there's some really good work, but also the wheels could really fall off this thing if it goes in another direction. So it, we'll see if guys are doing extra after the whistle or not. That's really what dictates if there's going to be a fight. Yeah, the extras, as we called it when I was a player. Ooh, they out there giving extras. They out there passing out extras, a little extra. And the extras could be a little push and shove after the after the whistle. It could be in the when you're unpiling and you just happen to, well, let me take a knee on someone's back as I get up. You know, the extras come in lots of different forms. Um, 
Yeah, and uh, extras are usually not received lightly. Yeah. Yeah. Because everybody's watching, right? Mm-hmm. And, you're, and you're looking for the extras, all right? That's one of the things that you, you get your binoculars out for. I, I've never paid more attention to the twos and threes than when we have joint practices mm-hmm. because I'm looking at everybody. Right, right. What's going on? Don't get punked out. I, that guy just gave you a little extra. What are you going to give him? You better give him some extra back, mm-hmm. right, if you're one of my teammates. So uh, it's going to be very interesting because so I, you I were the instigator, huh? You were the guy getting somebody all riled up so he could go out there and and have some extra replies to that. If you're an offensive lineman, be an enforcer. You should be an enforcer. You mm-hmm. should be a protector of that football team. If you're a defensive lineman on my um, football team that I'm on, I understand that the football game is won or lost up front. I truly believe that. I know it's a passing league and everybody signs up for, you know, these quarterbacks to throw touchdowns, but you better have a great offensive line that could block for that quarterback to three, go, throw go, great touchdowns. And you better have a, some bullies in the run game as well. Now, we've heard some hilarious sound bites from Garrett Bowles over the years. Mm. While the sound bites may have been hilarious, the mindset of, I got to protect my quarterback, I got to protect my team, where, where, where is that installed into the offensive lineman's head? When do you guys start, first start receiving that message that your role is not just to do your job, it's to protect your teammates? Defensively, now I got my brother's back. But I've never been told my job is to protect yeah. my teammates. An offensive lineman, your quarterback gets a shot. Even if, even if it's a clean shot and you don't like it, I've seen th- them come to blows in those kind of circumstances. Yeah. Where does that come from? I think it's from the time that you start playing Little League football, whether it is verbalized or, or not. You know, when we all sign up to Little League football, we all think that we could catch touchdowns or throw touchdowns or run really fast and run the ball and run for touchdowns. But unfortunately, some of us are built a little bit different and learned at a very young age that you're going to play offensive line. You don't get your name called out. You don't get to score touchdowns. People are not, you know, giving you high fives because you are the player of the game. So you have to find other ways to find satisfaction. You find satisfaction in being the bully and protecting your teammates. Mm. You know, so for me, at least, that's when it started. And as times went on, it, it just evolved and when you're in Little League, when you're the chubby kid and you weigh a little bit more, you got a little bit of extra cushion. You know, you, you, you're probably not brought to tears as easy right. as some of these other guys that are, you know, a little faster but a little bit lighter mm-hmm. on the lighter side. So you just end up naturally becoming this, like, you know, callous person that's a little bit supposed to be a little tougher than the guys that are around you. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Now, I... I think that's one way where offensive linemen are created, but I've also seen a little bit more of the baby Huey kind of thing where they're always so big that they don't want to hurt anybody because they've been so big their whole life. They're like extra gentle. And then yeah, you got you to gotta bring the dog out of them. Yeah, we're going to have to get that out of you as fast as possible. Yeah. Because you got one thing that we can't teach, and that's size. Right. <laughs> and you, son, you got to use it. Yep. You got to put that big body on somebody. But his whole life he's been told, you're bigger than everybody. You got to play nice with the other kids. You don't want to hurt them. Now he goes on the football field, and the coach is telling you, yeah, go out there and hurt them, man. Turn it up. <laughs> Yeah, if you didn't have a big, if you didn't have an older brother, right? Right. When he has an older brother, he already has some built-up aggression because the older brother been punking him out a little bit. Doesn't matter how big he is. That's an in that household. I wonder how many NFL players have come from a house with an older brother. See, I had an older brother and an older sister. Yeah. 
I was afraid of my older brother, but I was deathly afraid of my older sister. She could, Angela Brown could bring it. (laughs) And uh, I have developed a lot of pain tolerance uh, and toughness from being at home alone with Angela Brown and just being like, oh my gosh, I got to survive the whole summer, just me and her. I don't know how I'm going to do it. My mom to get home till 4.30. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's hilarious, man. But I think that there's definitely a, there's definitely something in it to having older siblings when you start playing the game of football. Uh, my brother's six years older than me. He was punking me out. Right. Like, 16, I'm 10. Go home. Mom's looking for you. What are you doing outside? Just absolutely demoralizing me outside, like embarrassing me in front of people. So when I got on the football field, that's kind of where I was channeling some of that inner aggression. And, you know, I was ready to go because of, I was getting punked out at the, out of my household. So... For those two hours that we were on the practice field, I got to punk other people out. Nice. <laughs> All right. All right, enough of the psychological stuff. Uh, Sean Payton also talked about uh, will the starters play uh, this weekend's preseason game? It, we, we, we certainly won't play them if we do more than a series. Um, there'll be a number of guys that don't play, but we do get this additional work, which is helpful you know, particularly with you know, some of those guys that, that may not play because uh, we just hold them back. All right. Uh, is there any Broncos starter that you have to see or potential Broncos starter that you have to see in this final preseason game where you think there's, there's going to be enough work here during the joint practices? Oh, man. Potential starters that I have to see in this preseason game. Mm-hmm. You know, I would like to see – that's great. A part of me wants to say Mike McGlinchey, but if Mike McGlinchey goes, then the other four have to go, right? I mean, you, you're right. not going to stick Mike McGlinchey out, out there, there by himself with Kyle Fuller at the right guard position. Offensive yeah. line is a group yeah, project. It's a group, right. right? So everybody's going to have to go. So when I look at just that, no, don't really need to see that. I think the practices are, are the more important, Chad. I mm-hmm. think these next two days, right? Javante, how does Javante feel today? And is he able to go and give you the same amount of intensity tomorrow? So I think that that's the most important thing for the starters this week is these next two days. Okay. All right. Um, I'm going to look at the rest of the depth chart real quick, pull that up, and see if there's anybody else who we think, ah, you need Oh, some- I got one. Oh, yeah. um, Brandon Johnson. If, if he's going to be in that third wide receiver role in your 11 personnel, which mm-hmm. the Broncos had put him in that position when Tim Patrick went down, yeah, he'd be a guy that I would want to see get out there coming back from that ankle injury if he could give us some reps in the game this week. Yeah, I think the third wide receiver question has yet to be answered. I think almost every other starter uh, offensively and defensively is pretty well solidified. Uh, and while the third wide receiver may not be technically a starter on the depth chart, uh, because you have to do so many three wide receiver packages, it's like a starter. So it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out. And Brandon Johnson, because of, of the injury early in camp, is now getting that shot in these joint practices and in this final preseason game. When Owen and I come back, uh, we've got to talk about my boys up in Boulder, CU, getting ready to play TCU. There's one national analyst who's uh, got a big prediction for the bus opener. That's next. Denver's 
Sports Station 1043 The Band presents The Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. Can I kick it? 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 I'm gone. Chad Brown, Orlando Franklin. Nate will be on the drive later this afternoon. Uh, the hype train will kick into high gear next week, Big O, for CU football. Uh, the arrival of Coach Prime, a lot of, lot of ink, a lot of conversation. Does it, does it kick into gear or does it settle down next week? I think it kicks into a higher gear. In a h- higher gear next week, but the week after, it could possibly settle down? Uh, no, because the next week after that's Nebraska. But you got to take care of business. Like, they're a 20-point underdog right now against TC. Three touchdowns. What did they go out there and lose by like thirty? Well, okay. To to that thought, we got some. Uh, we got a prediction from a national analyst uh, that's got CU coming up top. And I guess the knee jerk reaction would just see automatically as they were in the final last year. TCU opens up and do- goes crazy. I'm not going to discount what Deion Sanders is going to do at Colorado, and I think it gets started with a win, an upset win at TCU. Whoa! Okay, Rain. Wow. Uh, I love it, Randy Cross. I love the confidence in my Colorado Buffaloes. And I know TCU lost a lot of talent. Um, but, man, that TCU's program is just so much further ahead. I wish I could feel comfortable in my football analysis bones, uh, making that kind of prediction that Randy Cross threw out right there. But there's a reason why CU is a three-touchdown underdog in this game. Um, so if they were to be able to pull out that kind of upset, you thought there was hype before. You thought the country was excited about Coach Prime before. The only spring game on the main ESPN channel. Yeah. It's going to go into overdrive and bonkers and bananas land after that. Yeah, you know, Chad, you went to see you. you won the national championship out there this morning. I had the pleasure to sit with Mister CU Buff Matt Smith himself. Oh yeah, and Matt was on this hype train, I believe. But for me, you know, Matt was like, "Oh, that TCU team is not the same." I don't know if you had an opportunity to watch that that documentary that Johnny Menzel just did on Netflix. I did. Texas A&M was able to raise over $700 million mm-hmm. off of Johnny's freshman year. Right. Right? And, yeah, they went and won the national championship. But TCU just played in the national championship. How much money do you think those – how much more NIL dollars do you think those boosters were willing to give that program right. after what these guys just did this last year? So I get it that the, the team is different. But, dude, we don't rebuild. We just reload. So I think TCU is still going to be a really, really good football team. I don't see CU pulling off the upset. I just want CU to be competitive. I don't want this thing to be, you know, I don't want the odds makers out there in Vegas to have this thing right and to have them, you know, being beat by 20 points. I just want to see CU go out there. And I think it's a win for CU if you go out there and you play a competitive game, show that you could score a lot of touchdowns as well. And maybe you lose this thing by 10, but you're still taking an L in my opinion. All right, that's my next question is what is it going to take for CU to give you the confidence going into the week two against Nebraska? Week two against Nebraska, like I said, you know, as long as this thing doesn't fall apart, and I don't think it's going to fall apart. I mm-hmm. think CU is going to play a tough competitive game. 
I don't believe that they're going to shock the world, but I don't believe that they lose by 20. But I'm very confident in just that rivalry and where the program of Nebraska was at as well. Mm-hmm. Nebraska wasn't playing for a national championship. They weren't in the college football playoffs last year like TCU. So I am a lot more confident about that game already. But if CU you know, goes out there and keeps this thing close, two-score game, in my opinion, and that's what they lose by to TCU, I, I definitely will – you know, probably end up picking them if I was a betting man the next week against Nebraska. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I, I, You know, obviously there's no preseason in college football, so we, we've got to be able to judge and evaluate based off the first game. Uh, I think TCU is a very tall hill for the Buffs to climb week one, and that program is just simply further ahead. I think the Buffs should be and will be competitive in that game. The three-touchdown dog uh, feels like a bit much for me. Week two against Nebraska. Uh, I've called a number of Nebraska games over the last couple of years. Uh, Nebraska has been talented. Uh, usually there's just some issues at the quarterback position the last couple of years, and then they just they were a team that shot themselves in the foot. They just ha- they were good enough to win, but not smart enough to win. Mm-hmm. So with Matt Rule coming in, I expect him to clean up some of that. So I think Nebraska's a winnable game for the Buffs, but they're not as bad as everyone thinks they are. Yeah, yeah they're playing. You know, they play in the Big Ten. They they, they play everybody usually pretty close. They just have like three or four dumb plays every game that tends to cost them games. So if Matt Rule can clean that up, it's going to make Nebraska, they won't be great, but they'll be pretty darn good. Um, so the bus will have their work cut out for them as well. But they've got to find a way to come off this TCU game at least feeling good about themselves. Yeah. If they t- if they were to lose by 24 or 28, yeah. It's we, hard to feel good about yourself, right? Yeah, and as fragile as that culture is going to be up there because there's really no established culture. 88 new guys coming into the program, you can't build a culture that quickly. And then if the, the first game is an, you lay an egg and you lose by 28, and you got 88 mercenaries for hire who haven't come together as a band of brothers, that thing could fracture pretty quickly. So this is where Coach Prime is, is going to earn. indictment on Coach Prime? That, oh. that thing doesn't come together? 88 new mercenaries? Is that an indictment on Coach Prime? This is where he's going to earn $6 million. Because I don't think Rick George ever thought Coach Prime was going to come in and he was going to be the next Lincoln Riley and be some kind of office of genius and, you know, spend all the time on the whiteboard drawing up the most creative plays in college football history. Mm-hmm. No, that's not why Coach Prime was hired. He was he was hired to build the culture and build the winning attitude and all those kind of things. So now he's got to do that with this band of mercenaries who's coming in. Some want to be Buffaloes. Some want to play for Coach Prime. Some didn't like where they were and just want a new opportunity. Some came from NIL dollars. Mm-hmm. So you got 88 dudes with 88 different sets of motivation. You got to bring them together. You got to build a culture. You got to have a band of brothers. You got to keep everybody's back in that process. He's got a difficult task ahead of himself up there. Does Coach Prime's theme music trickle on into the stadium out there? In I Boulder? certainly hope so. Okay. I certainly hope so. Okay. Uh, to, to bring some of the swagger back, to bring some of the, the fun back, uh, I think that's already established within the program, within the program walls. Yeah. Um, but now they get to take it to the stadium crowd and to the home crowd. And now, because it's a new culture, not just for the players, but for the crowd as well, for the, for the home attendance uh, at Folsom Field. Uh, it's been one experience for a long time, typically a losing experience with not a lot of fun. The fun will return, but it's going to be helped if when some wins return as well. Yeah. You know, I think CU is in a tricky spot. There's so much hype behind this program right now that you got to go out there and find a way to have success. And you, you open up the season with TCU. 
Yeah, you, we look at just the Broncos last year, Russell Wilson, the return, and all these different things, and then after that loss, right, that was like the best Russ played all year in, in that Seattle game. But then it just started going down. That's when he did the, you know, the Broncos country, let's ride after the game, <laughs> right? And stuff started getting corny really, really fast. Right. So I think CU and, you know, just Coach Prime, they're, t- they're tasked with a tough task of walking a fine line as far as how to shift the culture while playing some tough games, right? TCU is a tough game. You are a 20-point underdog, and you have to figure out a way to be competitive in that game, and maybe you pull out the upset. I don't know, man. Anything could happen, I guess. But you got to play a dang near perfect game in order for that to happen. And now how do you go about the rest of the year? Depending on who you hear talk, this guy's talking about TC upset in TCU. So what does that look like at the end of the season if that happens? You just talked about the possibility of saying there's going to be improvement, but you're thinking that's four to five games, right? I'm saying, yeah, you know what? Maybe they get six games. I could see that happening, getting a, a bowl game berth. But then you have the guys that are really excited about this program, and I, I think more people than not are excited about this program, saying that, you know, it's got to be a bowl game this year. It's a bowl game. We're going to get there. And for me, I'm just like, man, how do you walk this fine line where you have all this hype and all these eyes, but yet, you know, it, it you're all just coming together for the first time and you got some tough games on the schedule. Yeah, it's going to be the Broncos season, definitely going to be interesting. Russell Wilson, Sean Payton, all of that, interested in that. What's happening up in Boulder, definitely going to be interesting. Uh, this may have been the year nationally when I've done my travels for whatever reason, where I'm asked the most, there's the most interest in these two programs. Um, and I mean, I was on my flight home on Monday from, from Daytona and the stewardesses working the flight pulled me aside. What do you think? How, how's, how the Broncos going to be? What's happening up in Boulder? <laughs> you know, two ladies who, you know, live and work here in Colorado, but were definitely interested in my thoughts on how these two programs were going to be able to move forward. Uh, when Owen and I come back, the Broncos had a couple of, Special guests at practice yesterday. Um, were those guests involved with the football side of things? Were they just visitors? We'll hear from Sean Payton next. You've been admitted VIP entry into the Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. No, Nate Jackson. Nate will be joining DMAC on the drive a little later this afternoon. Just Owen and I holding it down in the Players Club. Uh, Jared Allen was at practice yesterday. More than at practice, actually coaching practice, working with the edge guys. Jared Allen, a 100-plus sack achieved uh, guy in the NFL. Certainly, I think, could give some instruction. I always uh, have a little bit of pushback with these you know, part-time coaches. I feel bad for the current coach. Mm-hmm. Who's got to have somebody fly in and be the hero for the day and give some instruction and maybe counter to what he's been teaching for the last couple of weeks? Yeah, we know this is your job, but yeah, you're just going to take a back seat today, and uh, Jared Allen's going to coach these guys up. Yeah, and then up up at CU, T.O. was up there working with the receivers up there. I found the receiver coach. He's like, whoa, I'm, hey, Coach Prime, I'm grinding 18 hours a day. This dude gets to come in when he wants to, put on some cleats and gloves, mm-hmm. and work with my guys. Yeah. Yeah, I would be... I would be far more protective of my players for outside coaching. That'd be difficult for me. The message is hard. I mean, football, everything's about repetition. Right. It's constant. You sit there and 
There's a reason why you show up to OTAs and they install the offense six times in the nine weeks that you're there. There's a reason why when you show up to training camp, that offense gets installed again another probably four times before training camp is over. And when you get to the season, you have your staple runs that you're going to carry with you every single week for all 17 games. But guess what you're going to be doing on a Wednesday morning, Chad? You're going to be installing those plays again. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter that you know how to run, you know, inside zone to an over front, under front, uh, you know, 3-4 um, uh, over, 3-4 under. It doesn't really matter. These coaches are still going to keep on going over and, and over and, and over again. It's about repetition. And when you have a part-time coach, he comes in and he sends a different message. And it's that repetition is not going to happen because that coach is just part-time. Yeah. So uh, Drew Brees was out there yesterday. Now, I, this is the one I see differently. Mm-hmm. So do I. Because Jared Allen coming in has a, he, you know, is he spending time with the defensive coaches? Does he know what we're asking these edge guys to do? That's a little bit different than Drew Brees having a conversation with Sean Payton and Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. That's more of a meeting of the minds than, oh, you got to work your in- inside hand stab when you want to set up your spin move. That's a different conversation, the edge guys versus the quarterback. And uh, we got some sh- sound from Sean Payton on this. He just was in for a day. His brother lives in Centennial. And so, yeah, he phoned us yesterday. said, hey, he was coming in to see his brother. You know, wanted to know our schedule. So he came in. It's great to see him. He knows, you know, a lot of people here. Coaches, players. I know his brother. I know his brother all the time. Um, I thought this was, you know, I, I you talk about a meeting of the minds, Chad. I, I, I was thinking more along the lines of a, a little bit of a bridge. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, if you're Russell Wilson, you know that it was really bad last year. And you might not have a lot of equity built up with Sean Payton. Sean Payton might want to be just, you know, telling you that you have to learn his language. But if you're Russ, you understand that there's certain things that you can do, and there's definitely going to be a thing or two this year that you feel a lot more comfortable doing that you didn't feel last year, just with how you prepared and got ready for the season. So I look at Drew Brees as a guy that Russell can lean on now, where it's like, hey, how, how did you handle certain situations with Sean Payton with your guys' long career? And when you wanted certain things in the game plan this week, uh, how best did you see to have those conversations? When were you having those conversations? How does Sean Payton go out through the course of a week of a game week? You know, um, is he would he be open to me coming in on a Tuesday night meeting with him and getting a jump on the game plan? Whatever the case may be. So I think there's just, there's so much that Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, and Sean Payton could both, all three of these guys could benefit from with having Drew Brees at practice yesterday. And obviously the player side of it, when you look at Sean Payton on the flip side. We got more from Sean talking about what Drew did yesterday. Uh, I don't know. I, I think uh, I think for him it, it was really just getting around and seeing some, some familiar faces. He had a chance to meet Greg and Kerry, uh, and that was nice. And so it was, we had a lot of people. We had, our, you know, our alumni in today, and that was that was really good. You know, they were able to watch practice and spend some time with our players afterwards. You know, it's the most important. It's the lifeblood of your program, you know, are the people. So the present players, the former players, um, those that came before us and, and really built this foundation and built the tradition that uh, that we we've been able to really enjoy. Not quite the answer I was hoping for. <laughs> what do you mean? 
Oh, you, I, I, just, I was looking for Sean Payton to talk about what Drew Brees did. Did he actually have contact with Russell Wilson? Did they talk about Sean Payton's offense and what they like, what they don't like? I know that's a little bit of insider information. It's great that Drew Brees got a chance was to meet it, the new owners. That's fantastic. Was the national media out there yesterday? Uh, I don't believe so. Yeah, you're going to get a different version of Sean Payton, baby. <laughs> you know I mean, local, man, I, hey, we, we, I'm going to talk to you about what I want to talk to you guys about. We right. had all the alumni there, and that's the foundation. You know, put a national person down there. You might get what Drew Brees did at practice yesterday. You might, you might get the behind the scenes a little bit more. To your point, yes. Uh, it's fascinating that the local media guys get the uh, the antagonistic replies they get the, what have you been watching? If you've been paying attention, the national guys, they get the sit-downs and the love. And, you know, even even for, even for beyond Sean Payton, you know, when Russell Wilson sat down with, with Kay Adams, that was the most real I've seen Russell Wilson be in two years. Yeah. The whole interview. From yes. Top to bottom. Mm-hmm. I mean, even look at his post-game interview after San Francisco the other night. I said, come on, Russ, really again? Right. I mean, with, with Kay, it was completely different. It felt different. Uh, the answers were different. Uh, a lot shorter, not just praising everybody else that's around them. So um, it's just interesting, you know, how these these two individuals have chosen to address the media here in uh, Colorado. But also, Sean Payton, Sean Schmidt is a person that... W- <sighs> With the whole Drew Brees aspect of it, I, I don't think Sean Payton wants any of that to kind of get out as far as if Drew Brees was sitting down and talking with Russell Wilson and what they talked about. And now all of a sudden, Russ is like, hey, Drew was telling me that you're typically open to me, you know, hitting you up on a Tuesday, coming in on a Tuesday to, to look at some of that game film. We could watch film together. You guys did that back then, so can we do that? I don't think Sean Payton would ever want that to be, you know, to heard in, in locally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, maybe if he sits down with someone nationally, it might slip out. Right. Yeah. It, it, I think it's an interesting one. I think Drew Brees has the opportunity to help Russell Wilson. Could Jared Allen help the edge rushers? He could. Could Drew Brees help Russell Wilson? I think there's no doubt there. So for those three to be in communication and to somehow find the time to be able to at least have conversations, if not work together in some way, uh, I think would be a missed opportunity. What about the aspect of, like, do you think if Russ was a lot younger, say Russ was going into, like, year three, mm-hmm. and he got a new head coach and Sean Payton, do you think that Drew Brees could still help Russell Wilson if Russ was a lot younger in a situation like that? Or do you, would you not want Drew Brees to... To really talk to him at all. Not in that situation. Okay. The fact that Russ has got his own skins on the wall. He's played a long time. So to be able to have, again, more of the meeting of the minds. If it's you got a young, if Russell Wilson was a young quarterback, then Sean Payton wants to begin to mold him. Yeah. And work on his footwork and work on all those, these very physical aspects of the job. The, the more technical physical aspects. But at this point, the conversation between Sean Payton, Drew Brees, and Russell Wilson should be about... Understanding the play calling, understanding the structure of the play calling, what Sean is thinking in certain plays, what he's hoping to achieve. Again, more more the meeting of the minds than trying to get him coached up on his individual techniques and things like that. Um, so I think this is a opportunity uh, that should not go missed. Is my is my thought here? Yeah, um, the more help that you could get, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this football team. When you start talking about culture, and for a long time here, we talked about the culture being bad. 
Sean Payton is improving on that as the days go on, but the more eyes that you could have on it, more conversations, and you know, with Sean Payton being a head coach that has called the offense his whole entire time while he's out there with uh, New Orleans, you would think that he has a great grasp and, uh, as far as the temperament of the football team and how to kind of manage these different little things that could be distractions if they're not uh, implemented the right way. All right, when Owen and I come back, we will wrap things up and give our final thoughts about uh, what's going to happen out there during the joint practice between the Broncos and the Rams. That's next. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents The Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. Last segment for O&I here on The Players Club. Before we hand it off to James Merlat and Will Peterson sitting in for Stoke and Zach. I think practice has already gotten rolling. Oh, but let's... uh. Let's pretend you are in the locker room getting yourself ready for this joint practice. There's various levels of play in the NFL. First preseason game is different than the third preseason game. First game of the regular season is different than game eight. Those last couple weeks where you're probably playing for your division title, that's a different tempo. And then it ramps up through the playoffs. What's your tempo for this joint practice today? All out, dog. All out. All out. The only thing that I am not doing, I'm not rolling over people. Now, I'm going to try to pancake you. I'm going all out. Right. But I'm not trying to demoralize you. Okay. Like, I'm not put 330 pounds. Here's here's my belly and your face mask. <laughs> like, you know, get, like, I'm not doing all that. Okay. You know? But I am going all out because this is my last dress rehearsal. These next two days are I have to get as closest to week one against the Raiders. Like, okay. like this, is, I got to be right there as far as my intensity because the next time I put that helmet on and we cut it loose, we'll be the Raiders. All right, so there have been times where you and Nate have accused me of, like, uh, being a little overboard with some of my practice mindset. All right. Um, just a little bit. Just a not, little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's more Nate, not me, yeah. you know, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because Nate's not here to defend himself. <laughs> and I think of myself as a nice guy off the football field. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, you know, the, you, you step on the field. I got work to do. Yeah. And, and my work, unfortunately, is against other people who are big and strong and fast and physical. So, therefore, I have to be bigger, stronger, faster, more physical, have a tougher mindset, whatever. So, when these joint practices happen in my career – uh, in Pittsburgh, we would go up to Edinburgh and, and scrimmage against the Washington Redskins. They were absolute bloodbaths. Mm. Absolutely. I was a Pittsburgh Steeler, and that's how we played. That's how that room played, being with Kevin Green and Greg Lloyd in that linebacker room. The demands and expectations were incredibly high, and your physicality had to lead the way. You can be wrong. You can make a mistake, but you can never not be physical. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the way I've always approached these things. Hopefully these Bronco players are approaching it that way. This Because to your point, this is your last chance for most of these starters to get yourself this final polish before you start game planning for the Raiders here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, you cut this thing down here in a couple of days. What is it, four or five days before they start bringing this stand down to 53? Once it gets down to 53, those the intensity comes out of practice mm-hmm. because it's about taking care of one another, developing great practice habits, 
being able to go full speed, but more use your hands rather than your face mask. Like, this is one of the last practices that you get to use your face mask and everything. Right, right. right. I mean, other than that, you're going to take care of you guys after this moving right. forward. So hopefully that that's the mindset out there. Um, hopefully, you know, these guys do cut it loose because I do believe that there's a lot that you could gain from these practices because these coaches can script it. We could go out there and do, you know, low red area, high red area, do some things in against other team when we don't know what they're going to run and we're got to kind of adjust on the fly and see how many guys, you know, have it from the neck up on the football field in these next two practices where you might not get those situations in the game uh, in a couple days when you have to play the Rams. All right, so we got the starter mindset of I'm going to go out there and be physical and give myself a final polish before we, we go against the uh, the Raiders in a couple of weeks. What about those guys who have been looking around their position group and counting numbers? Oh, okay, well, they're probably going to keep that guy. He's a starter, and this is the second tight end in the game, and this guy plays special teams. So what can that guy do? He's got now three opportunities before cutdowns happen. Two joint practices in the game on Saturday night. What's that guy's mindset? I think it has to be the same. The only difference is that guy, he has three opportunities versus the starter has two. But you're getting ready to, to play against an, another team. And for me, you know, I'm letting the person know if I was in that position, I'm letting you know that I'm coming come this game. Because I'm interviewing these next two days. I'm interviewing for two teams. I'm interviewing for the Denver Broncos and the L.A. Rams because I'm a bubble guy. Mm-hmm. But then when that cut, that those lights come on and we're playing each other in the game, I'm interviewing for all 32 teams. Because I'm, I'm counting around the numbers and I might not fit in in my room, but I might fit in somewhere else. So these are opportunities to shine, to show on the tape that I'm a dog. and I'm. But you got to follow it up, right? So if a guy could string together three days... That bubble guys, you don't make this team. You don't make somebody's team. Right. So you got to go out here and take care of business. It's more important to, for those guys to have the mindset that we just talked about as starters, in my opinion. So hopefully they do have that mindset because you're trying to earn a job still. Hopefully they show up on Friday and review every single one of these practice reps against the Rams to gain some information about the personnel they're going to play, what the Rams are going to call, what Sean you know, McVay's offense and plays look like if you're playing defense against him, to give yourself the best shot possible on Saturday. You know what I'm saying? This is, a, this is a, essentially a scouting opportunity for a preseason game. You, if you're a bubble guy, get a chance to get a great look at what these guys are going to do out there on Saturday. You better show up and ball out, my friend. Mm. Take advantage of this opportunity. Does Cooper Cup get got? Does Cooper Cup get got? If I was on defense, bro, I'd be like, yo, listen, if you see any one of these wide receivers coming down to try to crack me, and I was an edge guy, just, hey, give me like a little bird call. And instead <laughs> of stepping up to go take on the offensive line and set HUD, I'm going to pivot and just go run over one of these wide receivers. <laughs> that was one of my favorite things, I must admit, is to know who the blocking wide receivers were, recognize that they were in the game, recognize that they were not outside the numbers, I, I can see what you're doing out there, man, but I'm not going to give you a clue. I'm going to keep my eyes focused inside on the quarterback. As soon as that ball is snapped, I am turning and running directly through your face. Yeah. You don't want none of this smoke. You don't want any of this because I'm 245 pounds. You're maybe 205, yeah. and you want to catch balls. Exactly. You don't want to block me. That's not in your DNA. It's not in your mindset. It's all fun and games when I don't know that you're coming. Right. When I know that you're coming, oh, I'm about to embarrass you on this field. Yes, and I want you to go to the sideline and tell Coach, 
we can't run that play when he's in there. <laughs> he knows it's coming. Take it out the game plan, coach. <laughs> Take it out. <laughs> Number 94 knows it's coming. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, man, you know, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this whole thing uh, plays out here today because we've seen so many uh, brawls and fights and joint practices canceled. Sean Payton has certainly said the right things. Uh, I think he and Sean McVay have had conversations. Um, but when you are competing and you're competing in circumstances with these joint practices, we've seen this thing go awry. Uh, again, I think I asked you earlier and I'll ask you again. Do, are they able to get both of these practices in, or are they forced to cancel after one day because things get so chippy? I think you get both practices in because of where you're at. I think both teams are going to understand that you're done after this. This is like the last ramp-up. You're cutting this thing down to 53. It's hard to now go preseason game number two and we're going to practice against another team because you still got to show back up and you practice against your team. And it's just like, oh, my goodness gracious, how am I going to get through this? i got a couple more weeks. If I'm Mike McGlinchey, I'm like, I got two days. I got to get through the next two days, and and then I got a Wednesday practice and a Thursday practice before we play against the Raiders. Like, I got literally four days of real work left Mm -hmm. until I play against the Raiders. Now, younger guys, it's got to be a different mentality because you're trying to make the football team. So because of, like, all the factors, I think they end up getting two days. I, I like that it's the third preseason game, and although we've seen so much of the chippiness and people having to cancel practice, I think that this model is going to happen a little bit more now moving forward where, hey, the heck with you know joint practices the first or second week of preseason. Let's do this the third week because guys could be a little bit more mature and understanding the situation where it's two days of real work because we're not going to play our starters in the game. Yeah, I think once you've got a couple of preseason games going, then you're – fatigue of hitting the same guys over and over and your willingness to take it out on the other team, that's gone up. The, the pressure has been released because you played those couple of preseason games versus uh, a joint practice where it's very early in training camp and you don't have that experience under your belt and you haven't hit somebody else. You take it all out against these teams and the coaches are a little bit more overboard in those circumstances, I think, versus now Sean Payton's thinking about the Raiders. He's thinking about week one. He's thinking about execution and polish rather than the raw physicality and trying to bully and dominate somebody. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I think that you hit it right on the head right there. All right, well, that's it for O&I. Uh, the joint practice is going on. I'm sure we'll get all kind of reports from guys as the uh, day goes along. Nate Jackson, who is at practice currently, will be on the drive with DMAC. I think both of those guys are out there at practice. So uh, stay tuned in for the practice reports. But this is it for O&I. Well, the Players Club will be back with you tomorrow.